0: Well, good evening everybody. Tonight we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3. A couple weeks ago we left off in 2, so 3 tonight. That's as far as we'll get. Um, The sign-up sheets are out there for the harvest party coming up. We really need those filled out if we can. As much as you can volunteer and help that night would be a, a real blessing. Many hands make the work light, so if you can do that, the kids I know will be blessed. We'll all be blessed in knowing that you're going to be there and so that's out there, along with many other things to, to look at. We still have Operation Christmas Child stuff up, and that'll be up through November. Grab your box tonight if you want to, and bring it back anytime. Uh, our uh, Biblical Citizenship class is filling up quickly. Uh, filling up. We've already gone through a couple pages or a page and a half, I think, so far, and ordering more books. And people from the community are signing up online, so that'll be a good class. We've moved it from the Older kids' classroom into this room now. So, um, if you're interested in doing that now, it is a it's an eight-week class. So it's every Saturday from 10 to about noon. So kind of plan for that. Um, some questions about it have been: ha, Do I have to be at all of them? Well, you don't. I mean, it's up to you. This is for you. It's not for us. So we're just going to put it on and make it available for you. Come as often as you can. We're not taking attendance. You know, um, you just have to catch up or or whatever later on, but you're welcome to join us for as many of those as you can. Um, the workbooks are $20. They gave us 10 but we've gone beyond that now, way, 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 way beyond that. So uh, we're trying to get a grant to get some more because they have free grants. You don't need to know all that, but we're trying not to make it $20. bucks. we are trying to make it free is the, is the point. Um, so we're working on that. Anyway, uh, that's every Saturday all the way through December. So, um, join us for that. Now, here's the thing. We will be cycling in it, so we'll go through it again in a couple months. And so if you miss this one, you can join us the next time. Now, eventually we'll add a couple more classes to this and kind of have them going all the time. So I think that's a good thing. So we'll, we'll start doing that here. Uh, we're going to ease our way into this a little bit. So, um, And then finally, uh, David Spencer's ministry here in my ministries is out there. Also, take a look at his little booth and uh, his table that he has set up there, and if you're interested in supporting him, that's a, that's a great ministry. So I don't think there's anything else I really need to point out for this week. So we'll pray and we'll get started, Lord. Thank you for the worship time, the singing time. It was for you, um, but it does help us. It gets our hearts in the right place to receive from you. We, we do let the things of this world grow strangely dim, and, and you come into focus. And, and uh, as we go through this book of Hebrews, your, your desire for us to have a relationship with you Um, We pray that you'd flesh that out for us. We know we say that all the time, God, that we don't want a religion, we want a relationship, but what does that look like? And your book here tells us, and so we thank you for that. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us tonight. Bless the kids and the Wednesday school ministry, in Jesus' name, amen. We left off last week, because he starts off chapter 3 with, therefore... We want to go back a little bit, because I did rush the last few verses the last time I was teaching. I know it wasn't last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before. And I, I do want to hit 17 and 18 of chapter 2, just to remind ourselves of where we left off. The writer of Hebrews is working us and actually working through the, the nation of Israel into understanding that the Christ, Jesus, came and he is the fulfillment of the law and that he's the, there's a there's a new covenant through him now and so he's really giving us an excellent a wonderful commentary on the old testament here explaining to us and to them that the old testament was always pointing to Jesus the volume of the book is written of Christ it's all about Jesus and and uh, so as we as we read Hebrews, we really get an understanding of what the feasts were and the high priests and the offerings and the sacrifices. And he's trying to explain to them, don't you see, you know, or can't you see, that Christ has fulfilled all those things and that the temple not being there isn't an issue anymore. And that or will, won't be there pretty soon, but um, it, it isn't an issue. The sacrifices aren't the issue anymore. We've, we've got the lamb. And so he's taking us through that. Well, the last two things he says in verse 17 was, Therefore, in all things... He, Jesus, had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that, he himself has suffered. Being tempted, tested, tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Now, that's a very important part. He became man for a reason. He became man to live the life that we live. Uh, tempted and tested in all areas that we're tempted and tested in, yet without sin, the scriptures tell us. He doesn't fail. He fulfills the law in living it out just like it's supposed to be lived out, like we were supposed to live it out but couldn't, Um, which is what makes him the perfect lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Every lamb that was ever brought for any kind of sacrifice had to be without spot and without blemish. We know that from the Old Testament. So Christ can have no sin. Jesus has no sin. So he shows us this. And the second reason for him going through manhood or humanness is so that he can sympathize with us. That's very important and wonderful to know. As the writer here describes Jesus and his position And his role and his responsibilities, it tells us a lot about us and where we belong in this whole scheme. It's very important. Because if he went through these things so that he could be merciful and faithful and kind of sweet about the whole thing, you know, not overlooking it, but with an understanding heart, being merciful towards us, knowing how difficult it was, knowing that we're just dust, um, that tells us a lot about his. His thoughts towards us, his feelings towards us, and feelings do matter. You know, uh, they're not everything, and we don't go by them. The heart is, can deceive us quickly. Our feelings can lead us astray. We want to use our brains most of the time, but there's nothing wrong with those feelings. He describes those feelings towards us—joy um, and love and 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 all these things. Um, he has that for us, and that's nice to know. If that's all we get from tonight, that's nice to know that our Savior, our God in heaven, has mercy and care for us and wanted to experience what we experienced and go through it, not only as an example, but so that he can empathize with us. That's a wonderful thing that he felt like he wanted to do that. When people come alongside you in your trials and tribulations, they're empathizing with you. It takes a lot to show up into someone's life as they're going through it, whatever that is. Um, it's easy to do external things. It's easy to make. Uh, we, I think the new word is virtue signaling. You know, and, and it's a whole other thing to to get into it with them. You know, to be a part of it. Now, you, you can't be swallowed up by everybody's grief. You can't be swallowed up by everybody's trials and tribulations. You can't. Um, we're not made for that. We're not built for that. But there is something about the desire to experience, or at least be alongside someone when they're going through a difficult. Situation, you know. Oftentimes, rescuers, when uh, when they finally come in contact with the victim or with the person needing to be rescued, they say, "We're going to stay with you. I'm not leaving you. I'm right here with you." And there's a great comfort to that, because the person being rescued is in a horrible situation and was very alone up until the person with the red helmet and ropes, <laughs> if, if we're going, if we're rescuing that way, um, comes alongside, or a fireman comes alongside, or a medic comes alongside or whatever. Now I'm not alone anymore, and they're alongside me, right here with me, you know. And uh, Jesus wants us to know that that's what he did, and that's why he came. Um, and so the writer here says, don't you see how great this is? And calls him a high priest, leading them, you know. Uh, he's gradually taking them through who this person really was and 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 the magnitude of Jesus, you know, it, it, in his wholeness, you know, um, not just a subject, a historical figure, not just a great prophet, not just a great rabbi, and all the things. He's no, no, no. He's now our high priest. We'll never have another high priest again. It's news to them. We're not going to go through that anymore. The Levites and and those of the you know Aaron and, and that group, no more. This is it. We have one high priest now, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's the one that makes propitiation for our sins. There are no more priests ever, ever, ever. Now, I say that, and he makes us kings and priests because he wants us to represent him like a priest would. But he is the high priest, and this is news to them. And it's exciting news because he's a merciful high priest. He's a faithful high priest. The priest that doesn't need to make sacrifices for himself first to purify himself to actually go into the temple and not die because he's wicked. This is a priest that never had to do that. He can walk in anytime he wants because he's sinless. This is encouraging to them. So that's where we start. Verse verse 1 of chapter 3 says, Therefore, because of all those things we just discussed, Holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling consider the apostle and high priest of our confession Jesus Christ consider him think on him you know um, it's one thing to acknowledge something or recognize or notice something it's a whole nother thing to to consider a matter you know oftentimes God God says that throughout Scripture, I want you to consider this. I want you to reason with me. I want you to slow down and don't gloss over this. I want you to sit here for a while. I want you to consider it. And I like those times. Sometimes I consider and consider and consider, and you go back and forth and down that rabbit trail and back up to where you started and down this, and you just explore everything around that subject. You know, um, Recently I've been, and I don't want to get into it, but it's, just, it's nothing new, but agency is something that I've been working on and thinking through and considering agency um, agency is the fact that you know you have a you you acknowledge who you are you're a person you're you're not just hardware you're not just software there's self-awareness you know you, you know you're alive I, I think therefore I am that kind of thing and how God has given that we've been made in his image and we have agency you know have that ability to to think, and uh, not everybody's, you know, everybody in this room has that agency. Um, we're not all, uh, <laughs> like Mariah says, you're just a character in my story, Dad, you know, kind of thing. And <laughs> She was kidding, but and I'm likewise, you're just a character in my story, too, you're just but I, we have agency. The reason we had that conversation was because we both had agency, so I'm considering the implications of that, and the, and, the, and the wonder of that, and what God has done, and how much he's given us how amazing that is, and how that's proof of God, by the way. That's that's the point. It's the proof of, of a deity, of Jesus, and, and so on. So I want you to consider our high priest Jesus. You couldn't spend a better hour than just thinking about him, thinking about all that he's done, everything that he ever said, how he acted, what the scriptures say about him, learning of him, spending time with him in prayer and letting him speak to your heart as well, you know that back and forth that you can experience with him. It's amazing, you know. Um, One of the things I I had mentioned to to some folks was, I've read this book for 30 years. It's the same book. For 30 years I've been reading the same book. Can you imagine another book that you would read every day for 30 years that would still speak to you every single time you open it, and oftentimes in new and wonderful ways, and speak to certain situations that... You know, you come short of saying, and I am coming short of saying, this is magical. I mean, it's amazing. It's supernatural. This book is. It's unbelievable. God's word is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword, and there's nothing like it, you know. And so to consider those things, until it, it builds you up. It boosts you. And that's what the writer here wants. I want you to consider our apostle and high priest. We don't hear the word apostle very often. Apostle means sent one. Jesus said he's been sent, so it's, a, it's fitting. It's, he's not saying he's like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or any of those, those guys, but he, he is an apostle. Um, he's a sent one from God. I want you to consider that. I want you to consider that you've been called holy brethren. That's a big title for me, you know, and for you, you know. Holy? It's the last thing I would call myself. If I was going to introduce myself to you, I would never say, Jerry, hi, I'm J.D. Holy holy JD. No, you go the other way with those kind of things. And that's probably right, isn't it? I mean, it's appropriate for us to talk that way about ourselves. But when he talks about us, when the scriptures talk about us, when this writer says, therefore, holy brethren, now you're holy because he's holy. You've been made holy by the blood of the Lamb. You've been made holy by the sacrifice that he made. Nevertheless, how it happened Is our problem maybe that's our thing we've got to get over but that's how he sees us you're you're holy because you have Christ because you're hidden in him because he was perfect because he fulfilled the law there's a wonder there holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling the heavenly calling is that we we want as many people to go to heaven as possible that was his point it was a salvation mission that Jesus came he came to save men from sin And we're a part of that heavenly calling. He's called us to do the same thing, at least to be a part of it, to introduce people to this Savior, to bring them to that saving relationship of Jesus. This is wonderful. Um, Who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house, um, in all God's house, as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. It makes a big jump there. Now we had that big jump in Hebrews 1, when he when God himself, the Father, calls Jesus God. We saw that. But here he's making that point again. Moses, great. I mean, everybody knew, anybody reading this book to the Hebrews, any Hebrew reading this would know, well, Moses, I mean, he's the guy. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then there's Moses, you know. Noah's okay and, and all, but Moses. So they knew that says, Moses is, if we're going to compare him to Jesus, Moses is like a house, and Jesus is like the builder of a house. You know? How important that is. How much more important that is. You know? That's one of the questions I get a lot. Do you know who built this? It matters to people. Who was the designer? Who was the architect? Who put their hands on all these materials and assembled them together and made this what it is? I want to know who the, the contractor was, who built this. And it depends, because that contractor, whatever name you give, has a reputation for either doing an excellent job, or I've heard stories, you know. I've heard some stories about that. Not so sure I want a house built by him. makes me want to look a little closer, or, oh, it was built by him. Where do I sign? You know This is amazing. I know this is an amazing house because he always does the best work. That's the idea. If you think Moses is great. Think about his maker, and Jesus is his maker, is what he's getting at. Um, we get confused sometimes with creation, and when we talk about um, creation and, and the creator, I I love trees, I love grass, I love grasshoppers, I love nature, I love my cows most of the time. I love chickens, I love everything about them. I love the dogs, you know, I just, I love all of it. But I n- never crosses my mind to worship them. And, and I don't know that anybody here says that, you know, well, I worship my dogs. I don't know about you. Well, I mean, it doesn't even, I always, always give credit to the Creator. And that's one of the, um, the areas that Satan tries to flip this world. Um, for us to, to notice the artwork and to be enthralled with the Mona Lisa, as opposed to the painter of the Mona Lisa, to, to look at the to, to to go to a museum and admire the artwork is one thing but it's the person you know that did that because it wouldn't exist without that person you know that's the important part that's why you study monet or or whoever you know you want to you want to know about the man or the woman who who did this creation you know who's the who's the author behind this well in the decline of any civilization that's that Romans chapter one that we hit on a lot, unfortunately, because it's becoming more and more obvious to us where we are on this list. He goes through, I think it's beginning in verse 12 of what a decline looks like and how slowly but surely as we remove God from our mind and from our presence and from public view, we begin to fall into worshiping the creation. It ends up with this, verse 24. Therefore God, after they tried to remove him from their mind, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, in other words, let them, in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who, and here's the, here's the people he lets go into this unclean state and have their way, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You know, It's a very important thing to keep Jesus in the forefront of our minds, to keep him front and center. I, I love our church. I do. Um, and I love the heritage that I have in Calvary Chapel. That's where God brought me, you know. That's why I stay and that's why I'm here. It's not that when I when God first brought me to Calvary Chapel, I, I it lined up, you know. They agreed with me and I agreed with them and I learned so much and that's where he brought me and that's fine. And so that's where I'll always be. I just know that that's what God's called me and that's where he's, where he's placed me. And and that's where I'll die. Um but I don't worship it. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful place, and and you people are wonderful people, but we're only as good as our eyes fixed on Jesus. You know, we're, we're the sum of our parts, you know. Um, Calvary Chapel Maryville will be as good as all of us individually following Jesus. If we begin to stop doing that, um, promoting a, a location or promoting times or promoting services or promoting whatever, and not promoting him, well, that's just a slow death. Um, it's just eventual. He'll, he'll depart. When the Holy Spirit quietly departs from a church, it's a sad thing to see because the effort goes into overdrive. The sweat equity, you know, striving and paddling to keep things going like they always have before. It was so easy before. It seemed to flow so easy. Pe- people were growing and people were coming and things were lives were being changed. Well, that had nothing to do with the place or the... Had to do with the Holy Spirit working through His Word in people's lives. Very careful that we don't begin to wor- worship the creation over the Creator. You know, yes, He birthed this place. He did, um, but He did. We didn't. <laughs> We're all replaceable. Every one of us, and and should be. It's very important that we should be. The relationship over religion. We say that, and and and. I think we need to dive into that a little bit further tonight. I'm going to. Um, you know that's that's the it's the easy, quick answer when you're having a short conversation at Walmart with somebody about you know you need to have a relationship with Jesus, not a religion. Well, we need to explain that a little bit. Um, the religion, the old covenant is what we had before. It was a legal contract. That's what religion is. It isn't that we're opposed to religion. it's it's that it's a formal, Legal contract with God um, and he doesn't want that and, and nor are we happy with it because a legal contract and and believe me I know as I dive into legal contracts and covenants and, and all these things and homeowners associations and things like that everybody's looking for the most they can do without breaking the law you know what do I have to do to what's the bare minimum or what is how far can I go without violation, you know, kind of thing. And that's what contracts do. Contracts keeps all, everybody honest. Nobody's going above and beyond. Everybody's going with exactly what it says in black and white, and that's what religion does. What do I have to do? I had a, oh, I don't know if I should bring this up. And I'm not going to. I'm actually going to listen to myself, or listen to that leading. I'm not going to, because it isn't a it isn't time for it. But we can get into that place where we try to find the loopholes in religion so that we can really do what we want to do without violating the laws that we set up for ourselves, which are actually customs of men, and so on. You know, I want to have a relationship with you like you do with your spouse, Jesus says. I want you to be my bride, the bride of Christ. I don't want a legal contract where you have to stay in the house with me because otherwise... You know, you've broken the contract. I want you to stay because you love me. And when you have that kind of relationship with Jesus, no one's looking at what's the bare minimum or how far away can I get? They are drawn to one another through love. You're drawn to go above and beyond, you know. Um, if Jenny liked breakfast in bed, that would never happen, you know. Uh, but if she, I'm just, you're there. I get to pick on you. Um, if she did, I'd do it, you know. It's not required, though. It's not required, you know. Um, none of that is. Raising kids, well, I fed them, and I gave them a bed. What more do they want? Well, some nurturing, you know, a little bit of love. little ca- I don't see that in the contract. No, it's out of love. And likewise, so when we say we don't want religion, we don't want that kind of relationship with Him, where it's the musts. We want a relationship with Him, and He does too, to where we're so. What do you mean you go to church on Wednesdays? That's not required. That word in the Bible does it say you have to do that? You know, it doesn't. You don't have to be here at all. Um, there's really no requirement at, at all. I mean, we want to assemble together. Don't forsake the assembling of the brethren, as is the manner of some. And we're, we're kind of commanded to do that, encouraged to do that. But if you didn't, you're not going to hell. It's not a salvation issue. you know. Um, we come because, I don't know, I want to learn more. I want to know more. I need it. I need to spend time. I need to spend time with Jenny. I know when we haven't had our, our, our moment in the morning where she's over there. And, and i'm over here and and i'm drinking the bang which is killing me slowly but surely and she's drinking her herbal tea which is actually giving her life and health and all and i should probably switch. <laughs> but and then we, we don't say much but all of a sudden the, a conversation will start and we'll talk and and sometimes by the time we're done we're on you know, we're on the edge of our seats going back and you know and you have this wonderful and ah oh, you know that's not required at all neither is this but isn't it very impactful and so needed. That For the Hebrews to read this is such a change. Every one of them had that longing in their heart. Can I really have a relationship with the creator of the universe? Because for me, it's always been coming up to Him with the lamb saying, they're sorry, you know, and then going home. So just don't, strike me with lightning, even the high priests when they would go in after all the washings and all the sacrifices would sheepishly no pun intended you know walk into the holy of holies, hoping they make it out. I hope I remembered everything I go in once a year you know and offer up the the lamb for the for the for the nation and hopefully I come out and say all clean, all clean, but they used to tie a rope around their ankle and had bells around the bottom of their their uh, ephods and all because what they heard, the bells stop moving. He didn't offer up all the sacrifices, and they got to pull him out with the rope. It was a big deal. For them to read this and to say, no, 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 it's all changed. It's not a legal contract anymore. It's a, it's a relationship. I've, I've ripped that veil from top to bottom. Everything's changed. You can boldly come to this throne anytime you have need now. There is no sacrifice to offer anymore. There's nothing more to do on your part. I've done it all. And this is huge for them. And he's just slowly but surely taking them through that because it takes time to deprogram, doesn't it? It takes time to decompress from a, a life and an understanding of that into this. And he's doing a great job. you know. So if we can understand his heart and why he does this, it, it helps. Now... Here's the relationship side of things. In 1 John chapter 5 verses 2 through 3, by this we know that we love the children of God, that's each other. This is how we know. When we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments aren't burdensome. That's very important. I don't mean to pick it on you, but I don't have any other deep, meaningful relationship to really pick on other than the kids or whatever. But for you, and for me, for Jenny and myself, me being married to Jenny isn't burdensome. You know, there are some things that, that I just need to do. I, I go get the cows at night and I move them over to the bull every night because the cows want to kill Jenny and they don't necessarily want to kill me. So I pull them over. It's a long walk. And you go, and sometimes you go in the dark, and you got a flashlight, you got to find them, and they don't want to come, and it's just one of those things. It's not burdensome to me. It's a, it's a task, it's a chore, but it, it's for us, and so I'm glad to do it. You know, I'm, I'm more than willing, and in many other ways. When Christ wants to have a relationship with us, his commandments that he tells us are like, oh man, I have to do what for you? No, it's absolutely, absolutely. This isn't a problem. It does take work. It does take effort on my part. It does take self-control in many, many different areas of these things. I'm not, I'm not being specific for a reason because I don't want to label it or list them. But there are things that God wants us to do and calls us to do that our natural sin nature doesn't want to do, but it's not burdensome for me to be obedient to his commandments and to follow them because I love him. That's a relationship. John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, he's not making another commandment to keep the commandments. He's just making an acknowledgement Do you. Guys, understand that this is this is a telling moment for you. If you love me, you would be keeping my commandments. They wouldn't be burdensome to you. So it's a it's a bellwether for us. It's a it's a litmus test. It's a it's a whatever. Why is this so hard? How much time do you spend with him? How much do you love him? And it isn't a guilt trip. It's a, I need to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. And as I do that, these things are easy. Walking with Christ becomes easier and easier as you walk with him, as you learn of him, as you study. Finally, John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I'm not asking you to do anything that i would haven't done my father had some sp- specific things for me to do down here think about the prayer in the garden the night before the crucifixion if there's any other way let this cup pass from me nevertheless not my will but your will be done because i love you i might add god my father i love you now i would prefer not to go tomorrow If there's another way, let's use that way. But if there isn't, and this is your will, and this is what you want, absolutely. It's not burdensome to me. Despising the shame, he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. This is the same for us. My ability to walk with Christ in the Spirit is a lead indicator of my relationship. Do I want to get as close to him as possible or as far away as possible? What can I get away with, or what more can I do? Or what more can, how much closer can I get, you know, is the idea. Verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, the writer says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation, and said, they always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He's not happy with them. There was a lot of grumbling and complaining in the wilderness. You're like, which one of the times did they test you? Which one are you talking about? Well, all of them. But the big one, the most obvious one, was when they went to the Jordan River. I mean, they were there in almost a week, maybe a little longer. They got out of Egypt, they went through the Red Sea, and they got to where they were supposed to go, and the promised land was within sight just on the other side of the Jordan River. They sent in spies. The spies went in. Two of them gave a good report. The other 10 spies gave a bad report, and they didn't go in and walked back. He was not happy. And this generation, he says, that just did that to me, and I'll explain why that was so important and why that was so hurtful to him. You're not going to see it then. You're not going to see the promised land. I've saved you from the world. I've brought you through water baptism. There's a life in the spirit of full victory and conquered land in your life. You believe me for this, but you don't believe me for that. Then fine, settle here. This is it. But I'll take your kids there, he says. And of course, 40 years later, they come back around with Joshua leading the way. They started to grumble and complain. It says, Joshua said, no, we're not doing this again. And they went across. That's the short version. Grumbling and complaining. Uh, It provokes God, he says. It provoked him when they began to do these things and test him in the wilderness. It provoked him. It bothers him. Why? Why does it bother God when we are faithless? I'm going to take you through some scriptures here. There is, uh, and I wish I didn't have to spend a lot of time talking about false teachings that are in the church today, but there just are more and more and more. And one of them is a misrepresentative, pastors are misrepresenting God by saying that uh, he's expecting more from them and that um, their faithlessness is just part of it, and, and I'm and I'm listening, I'm like I understand what you're trying to get at by calling us out, you know, as pastors to maybe too much holiness, too much come on get get your life together kind of thing, you know, maybe a little ease up on it. But the scriptures teach us, and I'll take you through two passages that might they just pair really well together, okay? It's Mark 9:24. This is what they're getting at, the false teachers. This is and this is where they stay. And this is what bothers me. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And every one of us can identify with that, and I do too at times. But please understand, he does go and take care of this child, and he does understand that there is a difficulty with this man believing, and he's willing to meet him there, but he's not willing to leave him there. He doesn't want him to be unbelieving the rest of his life. I want you to be believing. The next scripture is John 20, 27. He said to Thomas, reach your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. It's fine to have those weak moments, those moments where you need Christ to come to you in your unbelief and to help you out of it. But believe me, he wants to take you out of it into belief. He doesn't want to leave us in unbelief all the time. That isn't okay. okay. I don't want to be there I don't want to be in that place where I'm always wondering if God's really telling the truth because that's what it comes down to when I say I don't really know God I don't have enough faith what I'm saying is I don't believe you and God has a hard time with that because he never ever lies and he always tells the truth and anything he ever says always comes to pass and so when I look him in the eye and say I'm not so sure you're telling me the truth is what I'm saying I think you're lying we don't go through all that mental gymnastics in our mind but you can see why he to be upset why are you doubting me i told you i was going to bring you out of the out of the egypt and i did with some crazy 10 plagues you were really worried about this red sea thing i wasn't i just moved the water for you so you can go on dry land so far i'm batting a thousand We come up to the Jordan River, it's a tiny little stream compared to what we just went through, and you're wondering. Watch this, I can just heap it up and you can go right across. It's not a big deal. Well, he did that for Joshua. When they got to the promised land and they began to spy it out, the people in the land seemed to be too big for God to deal with, is the idea. And because of unbelief, he got mad. He was provoked enough to say, I'm not going to do it then. I can do it. I would have done it. And I'm going to with somebody else. The very kids that you said might be in danger by going across today, they're going to be the ones to go across by faith. And that's something I have to deal with. On Sunday, we talked about a couple maps, the map that showed the promise that God had given them, the nation of Israel for land versus the amount of land that they conquered. It was about an eighth. And I took that to heart personally, for myself. I looked at that land, he says, this is the land I want to give you. And I wonder how much land God has promised me. And I'm not saying I can take everything, but I'm saying I wonder what in my scope, in my life, that God has given me to walk by faith. If you walk by faith, there's a lot we can do. And I'm like, yeah, look at what I've accomplished or what God has done through my life. It's like, no, 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 no. I got this for you. Oh, isn't that amazing. You know? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad. But it's something I need to think about and pray about. What has he asked me to do or led me to do that I haven't done because of I'm not so sure he would, you know. That's offensive. It provokes him, it says. Now. Verse 12, beware, brethren, lest there be in... (laughs) It doesn't get any stronger than this. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin... There is a danger that we can be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. He wouldn't have said it if he didn't warn. I mean, that's why he tells us. Sin left unchecked, and also if I'm not exhorting or being exhorted by somebody, I can get hard, and I can become faithless. I can think, well, I don't know if any of this is real, or if any of that ever happened, or maybe that was all coincidence. It wasn't really the hand of God in my life. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do. And he calls that an evil heart of unbelief. Please understand that. If you hear that from people saying it's okay to be weak and unbelieving, it is at first, but he doesn't want to leave us there. I I cannot say it enough because that's an evil heart of unbelief. I'm not here to make us feel bad. I'm here to tell us that as a good teacher, a good professor of God, you know, himself, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us into all truth wants to bring us into a place of faith, unbelievable faith, believing him, letting him work in our lives without knowing, without giving us the, the full why, you know? I, that's my hardest thing. I'm recently struggling with something and and I, I shared it with Jenny and I won't share it with you, but it was so contrary contrary Opposite of how I've lived my life or how I've always been. And God's telling me no right now. And I'm having a really hard time with no from Him. Because He's always said yes in this area. He's always said yes, feel free. This time He's saying no. I'm like, well, maybe I'm not hearing from God right. Because that's not what He normally says. He's saying no, no, no. And I, and, He's not telling me anything more about it. He's not giving me the, now why know this time or explain this to me. I want you to just not do it because I said, don't do it. You know, he wants me to have that childlike faith again. Do you trust me? Do you know that I'm only do you know there's some things that as a child, I can't tell you everything because you can't handle it. I just want you to believe me. Don't play in the street. Just believe me. I don't want to explain to you about garbage trucks and uh, careless, thoughtless drivers and all that. So I just want you to stay off the curb, back in the grass. He's taking me to that place right now, and I don't like it. I'm sitting there in the grass for sure, but I'm not happy about it. I'm just being honest. And I, he knows I'm kidding. Of course I trust him. I just like to know more than sometimes he's willing to let me in on. Anyway. I want to be believing even in things like that. Not in the go forth into the, into the country of Russia and start a church. Yeah, I like that. But also in the no, I don't want you to go do that right now. I want to trust him in those things too. The no's. I don't want to be an unbeliever. Now, Romans 3, 4, and this is what I was getting at earlier. Certainly not, Paul says. Indeed, let God be true, and every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may, o- and, and may overcome when you are judged. When I say I don't believe or I have unbelief, what you're saying is God can't or that he's not telling you the truth, and that's where I'm leading you in these next texts. And so Paul says, no, God is true, every man is a liar, including myself. When I have unbelief, I'm the one at fault, not him. 1 John 5.10 He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe, God has made him, God, a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given to his Son. He tells us flat out, when you don't believe, you're calling me a liar. And that's not a good place to be in your heart. It's an evil heart, and I'm trying to work that out of you. My unbelief calls God a liar. Sin will deceive you into justifying your unbelief, and your faith degrades when you fall into that. You begin to go downhill. It's a warning. There is maintenance, Hebrews offer is telling us. Guard your heart against this. Exhort one another. Encourage other people in the faith. Be the external in their life to help them to walk more and to pull them out of this spiraling, you know, Situation they find themselves in unbelief. It's hurting them and it's going to end up bad. Verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, and here's the quote today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. Now he's mentioned that three times now. It was a very sore subject for the Hebrews that moment when they didn't believe God and go across the Jordan River. The 40 years in the wilderness is a stain that it cannot be removed from their history. It's a glaring reminder of their lack of faith, okay? And they know that. And he's saying, you as believers in Jesus Christ, who have trusted in him for salvation, and you're a Jewish person, you are being tempted and lured to go back to the old covenant. And I'm telling you, it's a lack of faith, he says. You need to stay and remember how you've been saved, what you've been saved from, how he did it, and that it's permanent. And don't be brought back into that. Don't harden your hearts. Don't forget the great deliverance out of Egypt and think that that tiny little river Jordan is too much to handle. You know, don't go backwards, he says. Now, Numbers 13 is the bad report story. We've hit on it. I don't know that I need to read it. I will. Verse 30. Then Caleb, he was the good guy. Joshua and Caleb were the two that had the good report. And they've given their reports, and the people are terrified. And Caleb is terrified that they're not going to go into the promised land. He was awesome. He's my grandson's name, by the way, for a reason because Caleb's amazing. Caleb lives those 40 years, ends up being an 80-year-old man, and when it's time to go back across the Jordan, he says, can I have my hill, you know, and I'll go by myself and defeat everybody on it, kind of thing, at the age of 80, you know, wonderful. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, so he he steps in front of Moses, well, I got this, Moses, we got to go, you know, that's his, he's going to plead with the people, please don't walk away from this river. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it, because God's there. He's just like, I don't even know why why we stopped. I don't even know what the spy thing was all about. We should have just marched through the water. Let's go. Oh, what a great guy. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we it's never been about you and them. It's always been about God versus them. And all of a sudden you're gauging the situation based off of your strength and not his. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the peoples or all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, uh, came, uh, with, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. They were gigantic, you know, how frustrating. The writer of Hebrews warns us that even in our faith in Jesus Christ, we can have the same moment that they do. You've done great, wondrous things. We can even enumerate them and write them down in a notebook that we got from Walmart. All the wonderful th- praise reports, but this one—it's too much for him. It's too big. I can't do it. I can't believe that he. Oh, Just let those, <laughs> let those words of Caleb ring in your heart the rest of the week. Let's immediately go. You know, immediately. And then we'll finish up here, verse 16. For who having heard, the people, rebelled. Remember, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. It's as bad. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. God wants us to win. There's two things that happen in your salvation. Yes, you're saved from the world. You're saved from your slavery to the world, the slavery to your sin. We've been set free from that. You are free. I brought you out with a strong arm from the worldliness, from your sin nature, from all the things that kept you bound and separated me from you. And I've brought you through the Red Sea now Phase two, let's go into the promised land and conquer. Let's live for me now. Let's live for God. Let's take the promised land. Don't just be content with not going to hell. Let's live now in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, doing what the Spirit says today, letting Him lead and guide you every moment. You know, Sometimes He gives us long-term plans. Sometimes He gives us something we've got to do right now. And let God do that. And don't walk around saying, I don't know. I'm glad I'm saved and all, but that's for other people. Some other people are called to that. Some other people just have the faith to do that. I don't. He wants us all, every one of us to cross. In Romans 6, 19 through 23, Paul is frustrated with his own flesh and sin nature. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now, as believers, is what he's saying, present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. but The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want you to have that. We're going to be a slave to whomever we present ourselves. We are free to be anybody's slave. Does that make sense? I can present myself to the world tomorrow and say, I'm going to be a slave to you now, and I'm going to slave myself to sin. I'm going to decide to choose sin, and I become its slave. It becomes my master, and the wages of it is death. It brings nothing but destruction in my life. Or I can present myself to holiness, present myself to God, to the Spirit, and I'm going to be a slave to that, and it is going to bear fruit. It's not going to be the death fruit. It's going to be life. It's going to change me. It's going to have... I, I love when you, guys, when you guys all burn your fields, you know, when you have to burn off. I mean, first of all, it's cool to watch at night, right? And it's black, black, black the next morning, right? But what happens after that? That green grass comes through. It's the brightest green you've ever seen against that black backdrop. And that's the idea with the Christian life. You've, you've been down the death road. Now let, let that green grass come and start restoring and bringing new life into your life, you know? It wasn't just, oh, we burnt it. It's no, watch what happens after. And you see that grow. Finally, Romans 8, 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Whoever I I present myself to is my master, and I'm its slave. To Satan, Satan, to God, God, is the idea. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this writer, his heart, his desire. He even makes it anonymous so as not to let his name be a hindrance to them believing. Lord, um, we want to be believing. We want to increase our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we've heard your word and we've been exhorted and encouraged tonight to walk closer with you, to be more madly in love with you, to spend more time with you, to consider you, to let you change us from the inside out, to be conformed into your image. And, to, and that you want to lead us by your spirit, and you want to do new and amazing faith things with us, God, as you command, not as we choose, as you do in our lives. And so we want to present ourselves to you tonight. We want to lay ourselves before you and present ourselves again to you as bond slaves, chosen. We choose you to be Lord of our life. We choose you to be our king. We choose you to command us and to direct us and to send us wherever. And Help us to be. Faithful enough to believe you and to do it and to know that it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing whatever you want to do in the situations that you send us in. So God, we present ourselves to you tonight. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.